For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Larry Hughes is going to pop out and get the ball. Jordan's going to rub his man off of Leitner and then cut down the center and gets a nice pass from Larry Hughes. Hello, DC family. Welcome into another Believe in Wizards podcast. As always, I'm your host, Matt Moderno. We've got a really fun show here for you today, as I hope we always do. But this one was especially fun for me. Joining me today, keeping our run of really good guest hosts, I've got Austin Bailey. Austin uh, may not be a name that's super familiar to a lot of you, but uh, he's one of my really good friends and was my college radio show host. So this is a 12-year reunion for us of being on air, air quotes, together. So just a fun opportunity to do that. He knows the stuff about basketball. He's a diehard Wizards fan. And, you know, we used to just do this. Uh, this was our this is our college life of, of turning out podcasts. At the time, it was radio, but same sort of setup. So really fun opportunity to do that. We're going to talk about post-All-Star break Wizards preview in their next couple games, a wish list of things we want from each individual player on the Wizards. We used to do a segment on our radio show called Fool of the Week. So we're going to bring that back. And then for our prospect profile, we're going to talk about Baylor's Kendall Brown to round out the show. Should be really fun. Uh, but first, a word from one of our sponsors, Bet Online. Football might be over for the season, but basketball is back in full steam for both pro and college hoops. From all the latest odds, totals, player performance props to where the next coach fired is going to land, Bet Online is the number one spot for all your sports betting needs. Head over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to get started. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline is your source for hockey, boxing, and UFC odds, right to Olympic coverage. It's the best in the business. From sports right down to your favorite Vegas casino games, BetOnline is your online wagering destination. BetOnline, the fastest and easiest way to wager on your favorite sports and play your favorite games. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, let's get to our conversation with Austin. All right, and I'm back here with Austin Bailey. Austin and I did our college radio show together. So Austin has been putting up with you know, me talking bad about the Wizards for longer than anybody, pretty much. So Austin, thanks for doing this. Hey, thanks a lot, Matt. I was actually thinking back to the last time that we did a show together and was wondering if podcasts even existed. Uh, it turns out the podcast kicked off in 2004. Oh, okay. So that made me feel a little bit better considering <laughs> I think our last Talk in Funnel Cakes episode was in 2010. Yeah, I to be honest with you, I don't think I knew anything about podcasts until like way after that. And it might have been a, like a better format for a college radio station, honestly, to like produce them as podcasts. I wish we knew. <laughs> Absolutely. But uh, good to be back talking Wizards with you. The Wizards have not changed all that much in the 12 years since we last did this. They're still largely mediocre or disappointing us overall, but doesn't stop us from talking about them. So Post All-Star break here, we, we'll just kind of see how uh, the rest of the season goes. They got about 30 games, give or take, left here. So uh, the next game is 
is actually Friday against the Spurs. You're now local team there. The Spurs are 23 and 36. They're basically sixth games out of the playoff race, give or take. So I don't know how much they actually want to win at this point. Following that, they play the Cavaliers on Saturday. The Cavs are 35 and 23, which I definitely didn't see coming. Then they play the Pistons, who are 13 and 45, who definitely shouldn't want to win games for the rest of the year. The Hawks, following Friday, who are 28 and 30, they're in 10th place in the East. That's one game ahead of the Wizards for a play in spot. And then the Pacers on Sunday, uh, the following Sunday, who are 20 and 40. So there's actually like 20 games left, which is more than I realized there. Um, and, uh, you know, they're, they're like nine games out of the playoffs. So, eh, you know, of, of those games, where do you see in the team fall over the next couple of games? Can they win a couple without Porzingis and Beal or, or what should they even tr- be trying to do at this point? Yeah, so I know in in previous episodes, particularly when you talked with Buck during the prior episode, you'd mentioned or he'd mentioned about how he doesn't really agree with the concept of tanking. And I agree with that as well. I think with tanking, the intention is to actually go out and lose games. You hear about it, obviously, a lot in the NFL with trying to obtain that number one overall pick. In terms of the Wizards plan moving forward, What I would recommend for what it's worth is that the Wizards really look and get a better idea of who do we have on the team and what is it going to look like when the Wizards are good. So the model that resonates with me in terms of what the Wizards could look like when they're actually a a functional playoff team is, is the Miami Heat model. So the Wizards, it seems like, have been constantly kind of chasing this big two, big three idea with Beal and Westbrook. That obviously didn't work out so well. But when you look at a team like the Miami Heat, they have a fairly significant superstar in Jimmy Butler. Uh, Bam obviously has has really made a name for himself as well. But And Lowry is solid as a point guard. No one is going to dispute that. Um, But the players seem to know their roles and and play really well together. And so that would be my hope for the Wizards is that over the second half of the season, they're better to able to determine, okay, who do we have on our roster? What are the specific roles going to be? And as Larry has alluded to, really figuring out, okay, what is the vision for this team? Because it really seems like it's swung wildly back and forth over the last few years. I mean, after the first 13 games, all we heard is like, this is a juggernaut defensively. Wes Unseld immediately got them to come in and like strap people up. And it's kind of fallen apart since then. So I don't know if that's his ultimate vision, if that's Tommy Shepard's ultimate vision is like a defensive minded team. But I guess my question for you is, can you even do that if your best player is like apathetic to defense overall? Like if Beal doesn't want to guard people 10 games into the season, are other people going to fall in line? Because like Butler will guard the shit out of you. So can you do that if he doesn't want to play, I guess? Right. And, and it seems difficult with the current team as it's constructed with Beal as the leader. Uh, you know, I just talked about the Miami Heat. Obviously, Jimmy Butler is a top tier defensive player who really anchors that team. And I think that's why you've seen as he's moved across from several different teams, they've had success is because he's brought that defensive mentality. A player like Beal, obviously, is much more interested in his offensive stats. And the Wizards this year, uh, interestingly, have really slowed down the pace. I was looking over some of the statistics prior uh, to the doing the show with you today, and the Wizards are last in fast break points at 8.6. Now, they also are first in fast break defense per mm-hmm. game, getting up about eight points per game in, in terms of their fast break defense. And so that really speaks to what you just alluded to in that the Wizards are trying to slow things down, um, do more offensive sets, and then 
really lock down defensively, but I'm not entirely sure that they have the personnel in order to do that. I think if you're going to do that with Beal out there, like there has to be a second guy that is a marquee defender. Like I think NBA coaches can only hold players so accountable in my opinion. So it has to come from within. And if it's Beal's not going to guard people, Dinwiddie wasn't going to guard people, Harrell weren't going to, you know, wasn't going to guard people. Like Thomas Bryant isn't going to guard people. It's just too many guys that can get away with not doing that. And and no one's going to call them out on it. So you got to bring in a couple people at least that, that they're going to respect and can get people's attention that'll at least force the effort. Like Westbrook wasn't guarding anybody most of the time either, but it also seemed like, you know, he'd be up somebody's ass if they just like totally dogged it on one end. Right. And and looking at the Wizards, it's hard to imagine them ever being, or at least in here in the foreseeable future over the next season or two, being a top tier defensive unit. But it's also difficult to imagine them being anything better than maybe a, a seven or eight seed with at least being middle of the pack. And so, as you mentioned, they really need to get, I think, a few more defensive-minded players who are comfortable and and actually take pride in that role and aren't as concerned with their offensive uh, statistics. This is an interesting one, too. Like, I've been, like, the biggest proponent of Kyle Kuzma, I think, of anybody locally. Like, that's my guy. I enjoy him. He does some, like, absolutely crazy shit with the ball sometimes where you're just like, yeah, uh, that's probably not a great choice, but... I think he plays hard to me. It looks like he's defending well, or at least trying to defend well, given the personnel around him, but the like defensive metrics for him are abysmal. I don't really, it, it, to me, it doesn't jive with the eye test, but I at least think he's somebody that maybe as his profile grows, if he can keep this up for the rest of the year, he'll at least play hard enough to, you know, on defense to maybe start to hold some of those guys accountable too. And he's taken a leadership role. So maybe they'll actually listen to him. Yeah, Kuzma's certainly creative, as we see with his pregame outfits, <laughs> and um, maybe he brings some of that creativity to the offensive and and perhaps even defensive side. And uh, I know, for example, with Lamella Ball, when he was coming out, there was a lot of concern regarding his defense because he takes a lot of risks in terms mm-hmm. of sometimes selling out for steals, for example. And if you get the steal, great, but if not, obviously you're exposed on the back end, and and perhaps that reflects some of Kuzma's uh, defense yeah. as well, where he, he can make some very exciting plays, but overall the metrics may not be as good because of the risks that he's taking. And, and I always have a problem with like individual defensive metrics too, because it, it just kind of strips like context out of it. You could be surrounded by a bunch of bad defenders and like, you'll look bad in those minutes, but, or you always see people post after the games, like, well, when so-and-so guarded this guy, he held him to two of eight shooting. It's like, well, they could have been six terrible shots that he missed. It wasn't the defense was that good. So like, it's really hard, I think, to accurately measure that. And to your point about like finding groups of players that work together, I think that's where maybe you have something the rest of the way here is finding out like defensive metrics for a unit. Hey, these five guys really defended well together. Maybe that's a combination that can work for us next year. So that's what I'd love to see most from them is just mix and match a bunch of combinations play them enough minutes. So you maybe have a, like a real sample size to tell if it worked. And then just, you know, we've heard Kuzma say he likes playing with Rui and Denny. Okay. Well, let's try that a bunch, put them next to Ish Smith and whichever center you want and see if they actually, you know, move the needle together as a group. Right. Agreed. It's really coming down to some trial and error for the rest of the season. And Obviously, that's not actively tanking. They're, the intention is still to play well, is still to win the game. However, you're okay with taking some of those additional risks mm-hmm. to figure out really what you have and what combinations of guys are going to play well going into next season. 
Yeah, you learn for next year, whether it's about what combos work, what players can take on greater roles, what roles they're best suited for. And if you do make the play in somehow, well, then you learn what those guys are like in pressure situations. And uh, the last time we saw Rui in a playoff situation, he looked more aggressive. He shot really well in the Philly series for the most part. And then we didn't see him for a very long time this season. But mostly, I think the offensive stuff is kind of translated for him this year. So I think that that experience is valuable. So if you make it great, if you don't, great. Just running through these games, so Friday is the next game, Spurs game. By the time people listen to this, they'll probably be prepping for you know that game. Uh, no Kristaps Porzingis, which honestly, I don't know if we'll see him for the year, uh, which I'm actually okay with. Ideally, even five, 10 games of him, I think would be great just to see the same kind of thing we just talked about, who he works well with. Can he play the five next to Kuzma? Can you put Bryant next to him? Can he play next to Gafford? Like all those kinds of things, it'd be good to just like, kind of know in advance of next season. Yeah, that was obviously an exciting pickup, uh, relatively exciting pickup at the trade deadline. Uh, I remember speaking with the Mavs insider uh, during the previous episode, and um, he was, I guess, uh, a little bit disappointed from the Mavs standpoint, yeah, uh, but felt that the Wizards got a got a solid deal. Yeah, I think I think the Wizards have a, a fairly good understanding of of what we're getting with Porzingis, mm. um, but it would be interesting to see how he's going to fit with the current guys. Now, obviously, introducing Beal to the mix will change the whole flow of the offense, but just seeing how Porzingis would kind of interact with with the current uh, team would be helpful. So they play the Spurs. If that were in San Antonio, I would almost guarantee it would be a Wizards loss because they cannot win there. It's against the rules of the NBA, I think. But it's at home, so I think they have a chance. I would still take the Spurs in that just sort of, you know, the things they do well and, and the discipline they typically have, I don't think seems to work well for the Wizards. You think they have a shot in that game? Like how how would you kind of call that one? Yeah, I would put the Spurs at probably three-point favorites, maybe a little less. Murray is going to be a handful yeah. for the Wizards. I'm, I'm not exactly sure who the Wizards can match up. And he's a matchup problem for a lot of teams. He is uh, a triple-double waiting to happen almost every game. Um, and the Spurs are, in a lot of ways, similar to the Wizards in, in trying to rebuild, figure out who they have, who's going to work well for them. Um, they've kind of benched a lot of their more veteran talent. Uh, like Thaddeus Young is, is a Spur who doesn't get a whole lot of run anymore um, as they try to figure out kind of what their uh, team's going to look like here moving forward. So, yeah, I would give the edge to the Spurs in that game. It wouldn't shock me, obviously, if, if the Wizards came out and won, but uh, lean to the Spurs. The Cavs, I would almost assume that's a Cavs win, although I think at least one of the two games so far this year, the Wizards played them either competitively or beat them. I'm starting to lose track, but I think you got to go Cavs that one. I mean, it just seems like a straightforward move at Cleveland. Yeah, I think so. I know they're playing tonight and Rondo starting at point guard because both Garland and LaVert are a little beat up. Um, I assume they'll likely be back for that Wizards game, but I'm not entirely certain. Uh, obviously, if you take those two guys off the court, it's going to be more competitive. But the, the Cavs are accumulating some a really solid front court. I mean, Mobley is looking like he could be a superstar moving forward. Um, and then you bring a guy like Kevin Love off the bench, who's quietly having a, a very impressive season. Yeah. When you look at his efficiency, he generally shoots a high percentage. Uh, he still rebounds well, passes well, plays you know, decent defense. He's obviously getting up there in age. Um, but when you're able to bring a guy like that off the bench, uh, the, the Cavs are really shaping up to be a pretty a pretty solid team. I know you and I talked about this a little bit earlier in the year pre-trade deadline. I suggested that's a guy that the Wizards should look into. 
And I got absolutely roasted for it on Twitter because everyone was like, he's cooked, he's old, he's slow, he can't do anything. But like you said, he's been really solid. And I knew they wanted a combo guard of some sort. So I thought Dinwiddie maybe made sense for them. But I, I think Porzingis is probably like a better version of what Love does at this point, kind of a stretch big. So then they play the Pistons. I, if I'm the Pistons, I never want to win a game for the rest of the year and you need a top three pick. So if the Wizards don't win that one, I'm not sure they win a game the rest of the year. Yeah, I think we were talking about tanking earlier. I'm not convinced that the Pistons aren't in tank mode. Right. Uh, they essentially let Cunningham just take as many shots as he wants every game. Now, to his credit, some games he, he'll get hot and he'll put up an incredible stat line. But when he's cold, it doesn't seem to slow him down either. So, yeah, I mean, the, the Pistons have a few pieces, but they seem to be actively trying to lose games to potentially improve their draft position. Um, of the three games we've mentioned so far, I would feel most confident in, in a Wizards game, Wizards win against the Pistons. Totally with you there. Uh, all right. And then they play the Hawks in Washington again. So four of these five games are at home, which I think is kind of the one thing going for them. I would take the Hawks again here too. Like they're one spot ahead of the Wizards. They actively want in and anything else for them would be like a huge failure if they don't at least you know make a play in this year after making a deep playoff run last year. Yeah, you know, a few years ago, it was fun because Atlanta was kind of Maryland light. Yep. Uh, and obviously, they still have Herder, but they had Fernando and uh, I believe another uh, former Terp on the squad um, a few years ago. So it was always yep. fun when when uh, Atlanta came into D.C. to play. But and yeah, Ale- Alex Len for a while. Sure. Alex Len, right. Yeah, so they, had, they had three former Terps on the roster, I believe, simultaneously. Yep. Um, so that was that was kind of cool back in the day. But um, yeah, Atlanta's looking pretty solid. I know John Collins is a little bit banged up, but they have a, solid pieces around him. I mean, they're able to plug in Gallinari. Hunter's having a, a decent season. He had some injury problems earlier in the year, but uh, he's getting back in the mix. Capella's, they're, they're limiting his minutes um, significantly. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure. I, I know he's not a great free throw shooter. I'm not entirely sure why they're limiting his minutes otherwise. But yeah, the, the Hawks look like a, a solid team. I don't know how deep of a playoff run they'll make, but they're, they certainly have the talent to beat the Wizards. I think their biggest problem is like backcourt defense is atrocious between any combination of Trey Young, Bogdan Bogdanovich, and, and honestly, Herder's been really bad on that end for the most part this year. But I don't know who the Wizards have that are going to take advantage of that. Like KCP is not going to magically drop 30. I don't think Neto has it in, in him anymore. So I... You know, I, I think that's probably a safe bet that uh, the Wizards are not well poised to capitalize there. And then the last game of this five, Pacers at Wizards the following Sunday. Again, the Pacers probably don't want to win, but Tyrese Halliburton is uh, having a hell of a year, or at least a hell of a last couple months. So I would call them the slight favorite again, too, even though it's in Washington. Yeah, uh, agreed. It's it's tough to it would be tough to predict uh, or pick the Wizards to come out on top in that game. Just kind of looking at the respective rosters. Halberton, as you mentioned, is an incredibly exciting young player. I know that Pacers fans were sad to see Sabonis go, but I think it, it eases some of that sting when you bring in a, a player of Halberton's talent. And it looks like they may be trying to build around him here in the years to come. Um, so he's certainly going to be given every opportunity to succeed in Indiana. And most likely he will, given the, the start he's off to in his NBA career. You know, the beginning of the year and NBA season is so long with the 82 games that like a five game stretch isn't like that crucial realistically. But when you have like 20 and change games left, five game stretch really makes a difference. And even though four of these five games are at home, like we said, they're probably not favored in most of them. So 
if you go one and four in this stretch of games, like that's pretty much it for you and your chances of making the play in this year. So this is like a really big swing stretch for them coming out of the, the all-star break here, just to determine like what the rest of the year looks like. Uh, you know, if they win three of the five, even you might see them kind of make a move to bring Porzingis back a little quicker to see if they can actually capitalize on that and, and sneak into a play in, you know, that's important to, to Ted. So who knows what that looks like, but if they go one and four, do you see them kind of like really shift into uh, development mode? I'd hope so at that point, because as you mentioned, what are you really playing for at, uh, at that point in the season? So, yeah, we'll see how, how this next stretch goes. I mean, every team obviously is going to have that similar mindset. And some of the teams that the Wizards are chasing too in the East obviously aren't bad teams. The Nets between the situation with Kyrie, who – uh, apparently maybe returning to being able to play in, in home games uh, as the vaccination mandates are lifted. Um, but, you know, they obviously made, made a big deal at the deadline and they're going to be looking to make a push. And so it's also, I don't feel super confident in terms of the teams that the Wizards are chasing um, in order to you know make that playoff push. Right ahead of the Wizards in the standings are the Hawks, the Hornets, which Okay, that's maybe doable, Hawks and Hornets. But then you have the Nets, Raptors, Celtics, Bucks uh, in a row. Like they're not better than any of those teams, and there's no scenario where they're better than any of those teams. And they're four-ish games back from that kind of grouping of teams. I just I don't see any way they catch any of them. So is it worth it to be nine or ten? I wouldn't think so. But again, the Wizards will always find ways to surprise slash disappoint me. I think. Actually, let's take a little break to hear from two of our sponsors. And when we come back, we're going to get into our sort of player by player wish list. So the things we'd like to see from each individual player for the rest of the season. All right, let's just call a quick timeout to hear from two of our sponsors. First, we have NordVPN. What's more important than peace of mind? Nothing. And that's what NordVPN is here for, to give you peace of mind while you are online. And with all the threats that you face today on the internet, it's more important than ever to be sure that you have the best VPN that you can get. NordVPN is the world's best VPN service, offering the fastest connectivity, most servers, and next-gen encryption to make sure that everything you do online stays secure. Plus, you can use NordVPN on all your computers and devices, no matter the operating system. With NordVPN's unlimited bandwidth, you never have to worry about a slow connection either, and plans start at just under $4 per month. So grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com believe, or use the code believe, that's B-L-E-A-V, to get up to 70% off your NordVPN plan, plus one additional month for free. It's also risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. And next, let's hear from Athletic Greens. Tons of people take multivitamins, but it's important to choose one that is top quality. With one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to start your day right. Their special blend of ingredients supports gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, energy, recovery, focus, and aging. It's also lifestyle-friendly and fits a wide range of diets. There's only one gram of sugar and no chemicals or artificial anything. Reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash believe. That's B-L-E-A-V. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash believe. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Athletic Greens, take ownership of your health. 
All right. And we're back here. All right, Austin, we're just going to run through, go player by player and just say, hey, what's the thing we'd like to see this guy do the most of or focus on for the rest of the year here? So I've got him in like semi-alphabetical order, not to throw us off too much here, but let's start with Denny Avdia. I think the biggest thing for Denny, in my opinion, is just like be more confident offensively and be more aggressive. Like he has no problem doing it defensively. I'd love to see him just like think a little less, get the ball, try to go to the hoop or put it up, you know, without thinking about it too much. There seems to be so much hesitancy from him and it doesn't really pan out well. We see airballed floaters or bricked layups, you know, but point blank range. So just, um, you know, pretend you're playing guys in like your pickup league and just like go to the hoop and I don't know, try to dunk on somebody. Like we saw a video of this guy pre-draft of him, like throwing down on people. So I can't remember the last time I saw him dunk in a game for the Wizards. Yeah, using some of that athleticism that we've seen flashes of, but not consistently. What I'd like to see out of Denny is is similar, um, but what I'd put is rebound. So uh, Denny's averaging 5.1 rebounds a game, but he's six foot nine. I mean, that's only one inch shorter than Thomas Bryant. He's actually one of the taller players on the Wizards. And as you just alluded to, is very athletic. And we've seen flashes of that. So in the win over Detroit on 14 February, which again, as we just alluded to, Detroit is not a great team, um, but he had 15 rebounds in that game. Mm -hmm. So we know that he's capable of rebounding the ball at a high rate. But for whatever reason, we just haven't seen the consistency there. And in looking at the Wizards and overall team stats for the season so far, the Wizards ranked 27th in rebounds per game. So it's certainly an area that the Wizards are lacking and an area that I really think Denny, if he were able to step up and improve on those numbers, I mean, a couple of those could be offensive rebounds and putbacks. Mm -hmm. uh, so that could lead to a few easy buckets and that assertiveness on offense. Um, and, you know, obviously if you're getting defensive rebounds too, that's preventing the other team from having their second chance opportunities. So I, I'd like to see Denny get on the glass more and, and really emerge as one of the Wizards stronger rebounders. Yeah, I think that's a great one. Uh, ideally, those rebounds wouldn't be coming off of his own missed layups that he has to put back up. But, uh, you know, we, we talked sort of about his athleticism there. And, and I think people will listen to that and think like, well, is he like he's not the guy that's going to have a 40 inch vertical but he's very strong. He's kind of like a good quick twitch guy, good quickness, you know, compared to his size and, and stature. And I think uh, he just seems to be like able to maneuver himself into the right spots. And if he can get those rebounds, then it allows him to kind of capitalize on the ability that he, he can put the ball on the floor a little bit. Um, it, it kind of less allows you to focus on that. He doesn't have a left hand. So like if you're just dribbling in transition, it's sort of less important. So if, if you want to see him as a playmaker, Maybe that's your opportunity to do it, uh, you know, to see it in, in the fast break. Uh, all right. I still have him on here, even though he's not going to play the rest of the year. But Bradley Beal, what do you have for Beal? Yeah, so the obvious answer for Beal is the heel. And hopefully the surgery goes well. I know you had Dr. Bassan on the prior episode. And the hand has so many bones and ligaments that anytime any athlete goes under the knife for any reason, there's concern, but particularly for hand surgery. Um, that being said, what I put down for Beal is really to decide. Mm -hmm. So there's been much talk about Beal's loyalty to Washington, and he, and he has been. Obviously, there's been opportunities for him to leave, and he's stuck around. But sometimes when he's stuck around, he's come off as pretty disgruntled in doing yeah. so. 
So I, I don't give a whole lot of credit to somebody who does something, but then is complaining for much of the time. And it, there's also been some question, particularly recently, in terms of gelling with teammates. Mm-hmm. So there were rumors that the move for the Wizards to bring in Dinwiddie in the offseason, that Beal had some part in that. But then, especially as it approached the trade deadline, there was more and more talk of Beal and Dinwiddie having some various conflicts, et cetera. So if Beal really does want to stay on the Wizards, I think recognizing that the rebuild is continuing, uh, that it sounds like the front office does give him the opportunity for some decision making, um, but to take all of those roles very seriously and fully commit because this kind of half in mentality is going to be a significant detriment to any type of rebuild that the Wizards are trying to do. Feels like the hot girl at the party, you know, like you got to prove to me that you're worth my time. Like I'll, I'll go on the date with you. So I should get credit for that. But, eh, you know, like you got to make it worth my while. And I, I just, I'm kind of like sick of that approach. Like prove to us you're worth that much money. And that by getting it, you're going to go out and you're going to help recruit guys. Like you're going to make it work with people. You're going to sacrifice individually, like for the good of the team. And to your point, like, you know, if, if you're that guy, like you have to find ways to make that work. Like you don't hear about some of the best players in the league being disgruntled with the free agents. They go out and ask their team to get now you do hear with like maybe James Harden, but James Harden is like Beal on steroids in my opinion, you know, it's just sort of like the same thing, but you know, like you don't hear open reports of, I don't know, Giannis, like hating Chris Middleton or Drew Holiday or any of these guys, like it, it just, they make it work or they do it quietly in house. So that, that's a great one. My one for Beal was just take the rehab seriously. He's not Gilbert. He's not ever going to be Gilbert. But when we had Arenas on the podcast, he talked about like not taking the rehab seriously because he didn't think, I don't know, microfracture surgery was a big deal. Like hopefully Beal has enough people around him and knows this himself to like, take the time he needs, not rush things back, like be around the team if he wants to be. But hopefully the fact that it's a left hand, he can still do some shooting and some running and all those things to stay in shape, but not like try to hurry this along, I hope. All right, let's uh, move on to Thomas Bryant here. So for Bryant, I had to take all the energy he puts into the offensive end and just translate that to defense somehow. Like if you're going to beat your man down the floor, you should be able to like shuffle your feet enough to like try and get in the guy's way. Like he might be the biggest turnstile on the team, like literally and figuratively. Like if you're six foot 10, I don't know, just like be big and in someone's way. And even that is like an upgrade over what he does now. On the same page with you again, what I put down is I really want to see Thomas Bryant regularly guarding the other team's best big. Mm to get a better idea of what he has. So, you know, it it seems like particularly recently there's been more and more concern over his defense. Uh, I tried to look up his defensive rating prior to the show and it looks like he rates about average, but those are such difficult ratings. doesn't feel that way. As we talked about earlier in the show. And so I think if we have a half season of tape of Thomas Bryant regularly matching up against the other team's top big, now, obviously players like Embiid are going to cook him and we expect that he's Mm -hmm. going to dominate almost any big that he plays against in the league. But can he guard, for example, Clint Capella, who I mentioned earlier, and some of these other players? And that'll, I think, give the Wizards a better idea of where he's going to fit into the rotation because 
his offensive game is okay. We kind of know what we're going to get there. Um, he probably should shoot less threes and, and focus more on the inside uh, and putbacks and such. But I think that is the question is, is he going to be able to play at least serviceable enough defense to really fit well into the rotation? And, you know, as we go through the rest of the players, it's possible that the front court could be looking increasingly crowded over, you know, this next season. So will he fit in? Will he not? And I think we'll, we'll make that determination based off the defensive end. Last episode, we had a ton Thomas on and he said, just stop worrying about the defense with Brian. It's not going to be his strength to like focus on the offense. And I kind of a little bit disagree with that. Like he is, he has to at least be serviceable on that end, but you made a great point there about sort of the shot profile for Brian. The first couple of years, like I loved the guy because his like baskets were at the rim and they were hustle and whoever I'm guarding, like I'm going to beat them down the floor. And now they're like fade away, step back 28 footers. And he makes them more than most guys, his size, but you know, I still don't like to see that. Even if he tries to be like Brooke Lopez without the defense, like catch and shoot threes, I'm totally fine with, but try to beat somebody, you know, to the rim, try to like post somebody up every once in a while might be interesting to see if he can even do that. So props to you for disagreeing with Thomas on anything. I mean, he's, he's gotta be one of the most uh, jacked NBA players of comes to mind. I mean, him, Ben Wallace, hmm. I don't know. It, it's a short list. So uh, I give you credit for, for disagreeing with him on anything. Nikola Pekovic was the other one for the Wolves for a while there. And the guy was a beast. Notice how I didn't disagree with him during the show, though. So I'm not, oh. I'm not that ballsy. Uh, just kidding. Atan's the nicest person in the world for everybody. Contavious Caldwell Pope is the next one. I just have take a backseat here and let the young guys like do what they can do. Like nobody wants to see KCP gunning and trying to get like 20 a game the rest of the year. He might want it for wherever he ends up, you know, post wizards, but doesn't do us any good. Yeah. What's the contract that KCP's on right now? Uh, he has one more year left after this year. Okay. So he'll definitely be, or barring any trades or yeah. anything, he'll definitely be with back with the wizards next yeah. year. And then after that kind of to be determined. Gotcha. Okay, so that's actually partially true there. KCP has one more year in his deal at $14 million, but only about $5 million of it is guaranteed. If they chose to waive him before June 28th, you know, they could free up the rest of that money. So not a terrible, okay. not a terrible deal. All right. Well, f- well, first significant disagreement we have so far. Ooh, okay. um, I had actually put down shoot threes for okay. KCP. And uh, I'll give you the rationale behind that. So he's shooting 0. 0.380, so 38% from, mm-hmm. from three on the season. Um, Steph Curry, interestingly, is shooting 0. 0.379. Yeah. So essentially the same as KCP. Now, obviously, Curry is shooting below his season average, although you wouldn't know it from watching the All-Star game uh, the other day, particularly the third quarter where he just absolutely went off. Yeah. Uh, and also his volume is significantly higher than KCP's. So by no means am I stating that KCP is on the same level as Steph Curry in terms of three-point shooting. But what I'm getting at is that the Wizards need to figure out who is going to be that three-point threat moving forward. So currently the Wizards rank third in terms of points in the paint, which is encouraging, but 28th in overall three-point shooting percentage. It's hard to watch. Yeah, um, they're last in the number of three-pointers made per game. Now, to their credit, they're 28th in terms of the three-point attempts per game. So they kind of recognize that, hey, we're not a great three-point shooting team, and they take more shots in the paint, which is encouraging. Uh, We've certainly seen teams 
particularly uh, with the Maryland Terps, where they will just Oof. continuously put up threes despite the percentage. That being said, I think particularly in, in today's NBA, you do need to have at least one, um, if not two, solid three-point threat. So going back to that Miami Heat model, they have Duncan Robinson, who that's essentially all he does. Mm-hmm. Um, Hero puts up some threes, Butler puts up some threes, but um, Robinson is essentially their three-point threat and, and is able to help them space the floor. And so that's what KCP was brought in to do. And uh, I tried to come up with kind of different suggestions for different players, but to jump ahead a little bit, that's what I had stated for Kispert as well, is to take more three. So Kispert was drafted primarily for his shooting. Now I know that some of his other abilities on the defensive end and perhaps um, in terms of his playmaking may may have been somewhat underrated. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that being said, he was brought in as a shooter. He's shooting just over 32% on the season. So I feel like over this second half, the wizards really need to see is KCP going to be the guy is Kispert going to going to be the guy or is neither going to be. And the only way that I think the wizards can determine that is by these players actually taking a decent volume of threes the rest of the season. Yeah. I really like that. Uh, I had a similar one for Kispert. I originally wrote make more threes and or I originally wrote take more threes and crossed it out and wrote make more threes. So that would be nice to see him make a few more shots. Not that he can fully help that, but the KCP one's a good one. And I actually agree with it. The thing I'd like to see less of is like ISO KCP. I don't like seeing the man dribble. It makes me angry. So the less of him, like trying to break a guy down on the wing and get to the hoop or get to his mid-range game. Like I don't want him to play like he's replacing Bradley Beal in the starting lineup. If he's trying to play like Duncan Robinson, with some defense, I'm all for that. All right, the next one here, I have Vernon Carey Jr., which you know I tweeted right before this. He might actually get some minutes in this upcoming stretch because Thomas Bryant might be out. Porzingis is out. Gafford, who knows why they can't seem to give him like a 25-minute-plus kind of night. So we might get a few minutes of Carey. What do you have for Carey? Yeah, so initially what I had put for Carey is to push Todd, but mm. as I looked into it a little bit more, I'm not entirely confident in terms of what player is actually going to have the more successful NBA career. Um, interestingly, so Carey was drafted as the 32nd overall pick in 2020. Mm-hmm. Todd was the 31st overall pick in 2021. So they were drafted around the same place in the draft. Um, some of the, I think there's some similarities between the two. Um, it seems like Carey is, is probably a better shooter. He played for the a lot of games for the Greensboro Swarm, which mm-hmm. is a pretty cool name. It's I think a good one. I- or that uh, over commanders for our mm-hmm. Washington football team. Um, but he played a number of games or 11 games to be specific for the Greensboro Swarm. In those games, he averaged 16.7 points and 7.7 rebounds. So he, and in, in prior seasons as well, he's really had a tendency to, to get on the glass. And so it looks like, you know, it could be the other way around with perhaps Todd pushing Carey, Carey pushing Todd, because as we just mentioned, the front court may be crowded going into next season. um, And it'll be interesting to see which of those two players really emerge and end up with uh, more roster time. Yeah. So that's actually a good comparison too. And I I think there are some parallels there. So Vernon Carey was 0% from the three-point line this year. The jumper beyond like 15 feet is like real skeptical. He's great at finishing around the rim, which is something that Todd's kind of struggled at. But Todd's interesting to me. Like I'll watch some G League game or some go-go games and he'll go four of seven from three and they'll be like step back with a hand in his face threes. And you're like, holy shit, like 
you know, this guy is going to be great. And a couple of the videos came out from the Wizards and one of his particular good games and everybody was retweeting, oh my God, he's the next Richard Lewis. He's the next Jameson. It's like, eh. I also saw him pregame a couple games into the season or postgame, excuse me, shoot like 30 free throws and miss all of them consecutively. So I, I don't really know what to make of the guy, but he is a very good athlete. And I think that's probably the one advantage he has over Carey is just carries a big body. Whereas Todd is a guy that like can windmill from like just inside the free throw line. Right. What are your, what's your early lean? And obviously uh, with Todd, he's had less experience. Carey had a significant run in the G league last year and seems like perhaps the wizards will give him the first look uh, given that experience that he's had. But if, if I put you on the spot right now and asked you to make a prediction, who has the more successful NBA career, where would you lean? I'm pro Todd just because I think the things he theoretically could do long-term are more valuable, like being a switchable defender and a potentially like a, a, you know, a semi floor spacer at six ten ish. Whereas Carey, like he's a little slow footed. He reminds me a little bit, honestly, of like Thomas Bryant without the jump shooting, like the defense is probably better because he's a little bit better at being physical, but he's just not a super athlete and he's kind of slow. He had the year at Duke where he put up insane numbers. Like I can't take that away from him. He's a really good college player, especially offensively. He's got the extra season in the G league. So like, I think he's just like ahead of where Todd is development wise anyway. So at longer term, I think I would take Todd, but Todd ended up like being a bust. I guess it wouldn't totally shock me either. Let's stay with the other bigs here. Let's go Daniel Gafford for a minute. What do you have for Gafford? This one may not be entirely fair for him, and I'm uh-huh. sure I echo a number of other Wizards fans. What I put for Daniel Gafford is the play, and uh, it, again, it's it's tough, and, and who knows exactly what the Wizards' thought process was, particularly going into the trade deadline. The hope is that Gafford actually gets a decent amount of run. Um, when I looked through his minutes played, so he was consistently getting 20 plus minutes up until the 12th of January. Um, and there'd been the concern about his conditioning going into the season, but he was getting uh, kind of a fair amount of run and without having too much issue. But since that time, he's only played 20 minutes once. And that was in the win over Philadelphia on the mm-hmm. 2nd of February. Um, so he's averaging about 20.4 minutes per game. That's in comparison to 17.7 with the Wizards last year. So he's only playing about three minutes more per game. I think we all hoped for a little bit more going into the season um, because he's playing pretty well. He's shooting about 68% from the field and averaging about six rebounds per game in, in fairly limited minutes. So the hope is that he actually gets a fair amount of run. What can he do for that? You know, I imagine just – keep up what he's been doing as being that high energy player who seems to have a good understanding of what his role is on the team, um, defend at a, at a fairly high level and essentially force Unseld to, to give him the minutes here in the second half. This kind of dovetails perfectly into the thing I had and just mine was find a way to be aggressive on defense still, but not pick up like the couple spazzy fouls he seems to pick up every game. And And I think the Gafford can't stay on the court because a foul trouble thing is like a little overrated. Like his foul rate, you know, per 36 minutes is like not actually that different than Bryant's. And it wasn't that much higher than Harold's. And typically he was playing against more starters earlier in the year. So like it's natural if you guard Embiid more than Harold does, you're going to pick up more fouls than Harold does. But he does just do some dumb stuff sometimes. And you just need him to do like less dumb things. And I'm wondering if that's like, the lesson they're trying to teach him is like, if you can't do these couple things, we can't play you. And it seems like a weird lesson to like push on him and not 
the other guys on the team that, that do similar stuff, but I don't know. I really like Gafford. I actually think he could do a little bit more offensively, you know, as like a lob threat. If you had a real point guard, I think Ish is somebody that could actually take a little bit better advantage of that. They tried with Dinwiddie and that really worked. So I don't know. It's it just find the right balance of like energy and effort, but do it smartly, I guess. And, and that goes right into your just play, you know, like if, if he's not fouling out, you've got more incentive to play. All right, Anthony Gill, what do you got? All right, so that actually leads well into what I put for Anthony Gill. So for him, I put stay aggressive defensively. Mm-hmm. So when I looked at uh, his last five games prior to the break, he had 5,000 of those games, but he also had at least one steal or block, including two blocks and one steal in the game against the Nets. Mm-hmm. And the reason that I say that is the Wizards are ninth in personal fouls per game. So they're fouling less than most of the teams in the NBA. But the problem is at times I wonder if it's not aggressive enough Uh, because they're also 29th in opponents assist to turnover ratio. So they're one of the worst teams in in terms of causing turnovers. They're last in steals per game. Uh, Again, I know I keep going back to the heat, but I think that's kind of the model that the Wizards could Mm -hmm. look at moving forward. They're 28th in personal fouls per game, so they foul significantly more than the Wizards, but they're 16th in steals per game and third in opponent assist to turnover ratio. So essentially what that says to me is that the Heat are playing more aggressive defensively. They're fouling more, but they're also getting significantly more turnovers and they're winning more. And again, there's a lot of other pieces of that. They have they have better players than the Wizards is the bottom line. But I do think that especially with the team that the Wizards currently have constructed, it would benefit them to play a little bit more aggressively on defense. And Anthony Gill is kind of a good person to do that because you're not that worried about him out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's different, obviously, with Beal, if, which typically he's not playing enough defense to accumulate a bunch of fouls anyway. Um, but you need you need his offensive presence, particularly you know as the game goes on. But with Gill, he could come in and make a statement. And yeah, maybe he fouls a little bit, but maybe he does pick up you know some steals or blocks, and and also bring some energy in, in terms of doing so. So you know, I see obviously Anthony Gill as, as very much of a role player and perhaps sliding into that role of being a, of, an, of an aggressive, solid defensive big. See, this is why you were always the brains of the show. It's a good one I didn't even think about. And Gil's the right one for it because he's like a smart enough player to do that responsibly. Like he's not going to foul a bunch of three-point shooters in the process. Like you can trust that even if he's being more aggressive, he's going to do so in like a semi-intelligent way. And and that's a really good call. It, I always go back to like the Gilbert Arenas era Wizards team because that's just what I you know like the most. But they got killed like for being not a great defensive team, but they were actually like mostly middle of the pack. And it's because they played like insanely aggressive. They told Larry and Gilbert to like, try to steal everything. And they had the bigs try to be aggressive. Like, you know, they were better than they thought, but it also would allow you to like get a few free points. Uh, You know, we we talk about like easy baskets. And if you're not going to do that by just like playing an insane pace anyway, maybe this is a way to like organically get a few easy buckets. So I love that. I love to see him and a couple other people do that too. So yeah, that, that, that would be good. Even somebody like KCP, I'd be okay with him being like a little bit more of a ball hawk and trying to gamble a little. Right. Especially with him have being kind of that idea of the three and D wing, yeah. 
which it seems like every team needs. And uh, KCP, again, he's shooting at three points at a decent percentage. Um, his defense at times has left something to be desired. Sure. Uh, so, yeah, he's actually the other one where I was thinking there could be some benefit in him playing a little bit more aggressively. Yeah, I love that. Another one that you could maybe make a case for doing that as well is Rui Hachimura. I have be aggressive, be be aggressive, but that could actually tra- you know translate the defense to just more from him. Like I want to see, like can he capitalize on the little momentum he finished last year with? I know he took all the time off. He should have his sea legs under him. Give this man the ball and see what he actually is, because I he's the guy on the team I have like the least understanding of like what he is as a player. Yeah, for really, I put double-digit field goal attempts every game Perfect. should be Rui's goal moving forward because the Wizards really need to figure out, is he going to be a primary offensive weapon? Mm-hmm. Next season, what we would guess is that Beal is going to be number one, probably Kuzma number two, although it could be Porzingis. I think mm-hmm. you know their, their shot attempts will be fairly Close. similar. Yeah. And then, you know, obviously – the other one was between Kuzma and Porzingis being number three. And so really potentially sliding in as like a fourth score, but maybe your primary score off the bench. Mm-hmm. And the Wizards have been getting outplayed the most in the second quarter. They ranked 26th offensively and 24th defensively. So the second quarter has been an issue. Um, surprisingly, when I looked up some of the bench metrics, they, they weren't that bad. So mm-hmm. I was surprised to see that. Um, but just looking at the roster and kind of the eye test, it doesn't seem like the Wizards have a particularly strong bench. And so perhaps really could be that sixth man who comes off the bench and is kind of the primary scorer with that second unit and allows the Wizards to stay in games next year. But the only way to determine that is to increase his volume because there are some games where he only takes, you know, four or five shot attempts. And it's really difficult to say, hey, is he going to be able to be an offensive weapon uh, with such low volume? So what I would tell really is, hey, find a way. And again, take quality shots. Don't just be shooting shots for the heck of it. But really try to get yourself to double-digit shots per game. And I think especially with the second half of the season and figuring out what the Wizards have, that should be attainable. They supposedly targeted people like Rui Hachimura because they hadn't been picking up like sort of all those extra minutes and toll on their body and AAU and things like that. But Rui could use a little bit of that like AAU mindset of just like, I'm going to, every time I get the rebound, I'm going to try to go coast to coast with it and like dunk on somebody or pull up for a three. Like, he just doesn't seem to have that in his personality and not that you want him like shooting at the expense of all those other guys, but like you said, coming off the bench, there's not a whole lot else to work with, especially for the rest of this season. So there's no excuse for him to not just like demand the ball from Neto and try to like, I don't know, ISO somebody or, or just see what the full, you know, the full bag is from Rui. Yeah. I love that one he's the one man where I just like, I just feel like he can do more. Like I watch him some games and I'm like, yes, do that. Do all of that. Oh, you're big. You're switchable. You're athletic enough. You're quick enough to stay in front of most people. But like you said, he'll just disappear. And I, I don't know if that's something that can be coached. You just need him to have like a little MF in him. And he just doesn't really seem to have that for whatever reason. All right. Uh, we we kind of covered Corey Kispert already. Anything else you want to say with Kispert? It's really just figuring out, is he going to be that guy to shoot threes? And given that the Wizards used the first round draft pick on him, I think he should be given that opportunity. Hopefully he's able to get up a decent volume in terms of threes and then figure out where he slots in moving forward. 
Yep. I'm totally with you. Uh, Kyle Kuzma, I have keep being a leader off the court and try to be a little more efficient on it. I think, you know, like I've liked Kuzma, like I said, as much as anybody, but sometimes he gets a little too excited, I think. And that's ideally not the role you want for him next year. I I do kind of believe that like some guys, you're never going to be able to like take out all of the bad shots without removing the things they do well. But can you like increase the balance a little bit more, like get downhill, you know, try to get a mismatch and let him exploit a shorter player and shoot over them or beat a quicker player off the dribble. Like, but the like pull up fade away from the top of the key, like uh, we could use a few less of those, but I love everything we've heard from him off the court. Keep pulling Denny aside, keep doing one-on-one contests with him and forcing him to work on his left hand against a tall defender. Keep, given pointers to Kispert and things like that. It just do all of those things that I think that very few people on the wizards are seemingly providing right now. And so you read off my prep sheet here. I'd written leadership and I'd seen some articles about how many of the young guys, specifically Denny and Kispert have praised his guidance and leadership. Uh, It seems like he is perhaps this player who can start changing some of the culture Mm -hmm. around the wizards, which at times has been, strained um so hopefully he becomes one of these glue guys and is able to rally the rest of the team so on the same page with that one how old netto for this one i just have just pass the ball like it is be a point guard like we don't need to see you shoot anymore you're probably not going to be here so resist the temptation to try to like salvage your offensive stats for the year and just don't shoot every single time you touch it for Neto, I, I want to see him run. So yeah. essentially get the ball and start, as you just mentioned, push it up the court and get it into other playmakers' hands. I think that there could be some utility in the Wizards at least experimenting with pushing the pace a little bit. Mm-hmm. Running that, that half-court offense works much better when you have an elite point guard who can really set the offense and playmake, especially when Neto is running with a second unit where – you know, as we just stated, there aren't a whole lot of playmakers and a whole lot of guys who are going to be able to create their own shot. You really got to look for mismatches whenever you can get them. So I like to see Neto push the pace a little bit more. And then that'll also give the Wizards a better understanding of, hey, how did these other guys do, for example, playing in a more up-tempo offense? Is that something, again, the Wizards don't need to necessarily go from kind of last in fast break points to trying to get to first, but maybe they, they settle somewhere in the middle um, and that works better for the team that they're building. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense too. And and the other thing with Neto is just, I don't know if like he's salvageable as a player that they can try to bring back next year, but just be a leader also. Like that's the best way for him to try to extend his career. He's been a guy that had been considered kind of hard-nosed. Like I loved him last season. He He just seems like a different person. And I'm not sure what that is, but to your point, if you've got all these young guys that you're going to try the rest of the year, your one advantage maybe is that other teams aren't going to want to chase you around this late in the season. So if, if he's willing to just get the ball and go and, and be unselfish, you're also more likely to get the ball back in better situations if you're someone like Neto rather than take like weird off-balance shots that he's been doing all year. So I'm, I'm totally with you there. Porzingis, what do you got for Porzingis? Right. So with Porzingis, we're not exactly sure how much time he's going to get, but for Pink... But for Porzingis, if he does end up playing a decent amount of games with the Wizards, or even if he has a fairly limited role the rest of the season, 
I want to see Porzingis work inside more. And I think this is something that he mentioned even in coming over to the Wizards. Um, over the course of his career, he's not a bad three-point shooter. He shoots at about 35%. Um, this season, it's been down. He's shooting about 28%. Perhaps that's injury-related. But regardless, he's seven foot three. So this has been somewhat of a pet peeve of mine over the past few years, perhaps starting with Brooke Lopez. I just can't understand how someone who is seven feet tall, when you look at their box score at the end of the game, they have one rebound. Yeah. To me, that, that is just completely uh, unforgivable to you, uh, old, uh, what was it, YouTube video. <laughs> um, but I just cannot understand how a player that big can only end up with one one or two rebounds per game. So I'd like to see Porzingis work inside more. Um, if he's doing that, he has a greater likelihood of getting offensive rebounds. And he's shown you know, some, some pretty good footwork and some pretty good ability to play make and, and as a passing big. So I just think having him kind of more central than hanging out at the three-point line would benefit the Wizards. It's like the Nene special. I remember a game when he was in Denver and Barkley was doing the game for TNT and he was just like, so, you know, that many rebounds a game should fall into your lap when you're seven feet tall and reasonably athletic. So six a game seems underwhelming. Uh, it, you know, Kuzma has been a great rebounder for them most of the year. If you can put the two of them together next year, to your point, it lessens sort of the negative impact they could have defensively together if you just keep possession shorter. So I, I'd love to see that too. And him being around the basket, like anybody that's going to give me like the numbers for it, the metrics for it, says that him posting up isn't great, but I think you need him to be able to do that when you make a playoff run. Like him always shooting threes, I think doesn't help you in those situations. So it doesn't have to be like a, an old school post up, but if he's a face up big from 15 feet and he can do that in a tough situation in a tight playoff game, like I'd, I'd love to be able to know that, you know? Well, mine for Porzingis was just don't rush back either. Just get healthy. This year is mostly meaningless at this point. so. Um, if I'm him, I, I wouldn't be hurrying back to try to show everybody that, yes, I can still play. Like just keep working on what you're working on and be ready for next year. Ish Smith, what do you got for Ish? So for Ish Smith, it would be nice to see him help the other players really accomplish their goals mm -hmm. and accept what his role is going to be on this team. And so earlier you talked about, hey, maybe he can work with Gafford and some pick and roll, some lobs, um, so he can help Gafford kind of better realize his full potential. And uh, in terms of coming in and recognizing, okay, this is kind of where I'm at in my career. This is how I'm going to slide in. I think other guys will take notice of that too and hopefully better accept whatever their role is going to be on the team. It's literally what I have. And plus I had in parentheses, push the pace, which is what we said for Neto too, but I'd love to see that from him. Uh, Isaiah Todd, I have just study, 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 film, film, film. Everything he can learn from his vets, he should be trying to take that in as well. You know, we heard about the maybe potential locker room dust up or whatever it might have been that got him suspended for a game. Like, just be mature, be a pro, or like put in the work. And I'm not saying that he's not doing that. I don't know. I have seen him shoot after games a lot. I've even seen him do it after a go-go game. So I give him credit for that. But, uh, you know, you just need him to grow enough and, and like kind of make a big jump for next year if he's going to be able to contribute at all. Yeah, I'd put no more suspensions. Um, I, it just, it's tough to say exactly what happened, but given that his name was a player that was getting thrown around the tr at the trade deadline, 
you got to imagine that the Wizards mm-hmm. wouldn't have suspended him unless it was something fairly significant. And we just can't be having that again, as we talked about kind of trying to change some of the culture around the Wizards. That's something that's going to be a significant uh, setback in his career. Todd isn't somebody who I've had the opportunity to watch play too much, um, given that he's been in the G League. But um, as you mentioned, it sounds like he's an incredibly athletic player with a lot of potential. And unfortunately, sometimes character issues can derail that potential. And so hopefully he can kind of keep the eye on the prize and uh, continue to work, like you said, and, and put his time and energy into things that are going to make him a better player. And then we have the two two-way guys, Cassius Winston and Joel Yai. I don't even care. It just, I don't know, push guys in practice. Like, let's keep that one moving. All right. Uh, let's transition a little bit here. I think that was great. Covered everybody there and covered our bases, but maybe talk about a guy that could be on the team potentially next year. We've been doing our prospect profile segment and talking about just different guys that might be kind of available in the Wizards draft range. So today we have Kendall Brown. He's a six foot eight ish, maybe nine ish, depending on what you look at pogo stick athlete. He kind of plays a little small forward slash power forward for Baylor. He is a freshman. He'll be 19 years old on draft night. So far this year, he's averaging 10 points, five rebounds, two assists, about 60% from the field, which is great. 30% from three, not as great, but on only one attempt a game. And he is a 73% free throw shooter. For anybody who hasn't seen Kendall Brown play to me, it's like Jeremy Grant coming out of Syracuse, like that kind of size and athleticism but like with more tools, actually I compared him to a friend the other day. And I said, he's like, if Denny Avdia was like a monster athlete, uh, because he's just, he's going to be a good defender from day one. Like this is a guy that like could win defensive player of the year awards. Like he's a bigger version of like Matisse Thibel for the 76ers. I said six, eight, he can be kind of that guy that you switch on really anybody, but he's got good court vision. He likes to pass. He's a really good cutter. He finds himself in good spots. He's a terror in transition. He's not sort of like a guy that's going to break anybody down off the dribble, but he's like good enough with the ball again to kind of move the ball, get his own rebound, grab and go. Again, he could be like a lob threat. He'd be instantly the best athlete on the Wizards, which is amazing. Uh, He might be one of the best athletes coming into the league, to be honest. And he's like that connector. He doesn't need the ball a lot. He doesn't like have to pound the ball and paint to do anything. He's just a guy that can move the ball around, help other people be better. And he might actually instantly kind of raise your defensive potential. And that given what we just talked about, he's the guy you would want kind of gambling for steals or trying to make weak side blocks and those sort of things. Problem is he can't shoot. He's a reluctant shooter, which actually is probably a good thing. The handle, not great. So he's not like breaking anybody down too much. And will he be able to get his own shot because of it? So given all that, Austin, I gave you a little short notice on this homework assignment, but is Kendall Brown somebody that would appeal to you on the Wizards for next year? Yeah, and appreciate you sending me some clips to check out to see how well he might fit with the current team. What really stood out to me is his motor. I mean, they Mm -hmm. talk about high motor guys. It's become kind of cliched, but he really gets up and down the court incredibly well. And as somebody who seems like he'd bring a lot of energy to the franchise, And that is something that could have a lot of also kind of intangible benefits. Mm -hmm. And interestingly, when I started doing a little bit of research on him, so a five-star recruit out of Minnesota um, in high school, and his father played basketball overseas and then actually for the Harlem Globetrotters. Oh, wow. So uh, 
yeah. So that kind of makes sense with kind of some of this energy feeling that I was getting just from watching mm-hmm. the clips, given that that his pops played for the Globetrotters. So uh, it looks like, as you mentioned, he has a, a good handle, especially for somebody of his size, uh, good court vision. Now it's tough sometimes based off the competition that they're playing in terms of how well would that translate to the sure. NBA. Um, but it didn't seem like there were any significant, significant holes in his game. And from everything that I was able to find and read on him, it sounds like he's hardworking, high character, um, would hopefully work on some of these deficits. And as you mentioned, also understand what his role is on the team. Because going forward, I mean, in in talking about our, our previous conversation too, and kind of what the Wizards will look like when they are a, a solid playoff team, um, you got to imagine that Beal is probably taking 15 plus shots a game. Mm-hmm. Kuzma, it's hard to see him toning it back too much right. as he continues to have success. You can't uh, put the genie back in the bottle there. It doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah, right. So he, he could end up taking easily, I could see 10 to 15 shots per mm-hmm. game from him, probably similar from Porzingis. And so, and when we talked about really potentially emerging as a, as a threat with the second unit. So what the wizards are really going to need are guys who have the good court vision um, are willing to step up and play defense are rebounding the basketball at a high rate to fit in um, as those complementary pieces. And that seems like what he might be able to do. These are the guys I've like typically shied away from in like previous draft stuff. He's a much better athlete than Scotty Barnes, not as good like a facilitator or whatever, but the guys that like aren't instantly projectable as shooters, I've been kind of like gun shy about saying I like them much, but he's a guy that actually makes sense to me given next year's makeup for all the reasons you just talked about and having a guy that could literally switch one through five, a potential, I mean, like, you know, maybe not against like big centers, but coming off the bench that there are plenty of like backup fives he could guard and at least, you know, situationally. So having somebody that's that versatile defensively would be huge for them. And he'd allow you to get some second chance opportunities. Who's like, who are the really good cutters on the wizards? You know, like they just don't have those kind of like glue guy things. And if the shot comes around, the handle comes around, like, could he be an OG and an OB level player? Like probably, I mean, so this would be a home run upside kind of guy. If he figures those two things out, they're big ifs, but I don't know. At some point, like take some swings, you know, like take, take a shot on the guy that, that could go big eventually. I think that's uh, pretty good for Kendall here. We'll keep this one moving. So on our college radio show that we mentioned, we always did a segment called fool of the week, just kind of a silly thing of who's doing dumb stuff in sports or pop culture or whatever. So uh, Austin, do you want to lead us off this time? Sure. Absolutely. Uh, so I put a lot of thought into okay. this segment uh, because this was always one of our favorites. Uh, my initial lean was unfortunately a, a former former bullet, Damn. John Howard, um, but he has since come out and apologized, and uh, he got his five game suspension. Obviously, um, so there was some punishment that was brought down. Sure. Uh, so I pivoted a little bit, and I'm actually going to give you an early full of the year candidate. Ooh, okay, I like this. Um, so this occurred in January. Uh, the The gentleman's name is Jeremy Fiazon, and he is a 45 year old Tennessee state representative. Okay. And he was at his son's high school basketball game, which the story I think I saw this clip. Well. Yeah. Yep. All right. Good. Yeah. The clip is still available on the internet. Um, it's been removed from some sources, but yep. it's still findable for those who would like to find it. Um, 
so he started off well. He's at his son's high school basketball game. But in the third quarter, there was a scuffle over a loose ball, and it led to technical fouls being assessed to both teams. So Jeremy Faison became enraged by these dual texts, feeling like there was some type of injustice, stomps down from the stands, starts yelling at the refs. There's a lot of pointing back and forth. Ultimately, the ref kicks him out of the game. Well, instead of taking kind of the high road at that point and exiting the arena, instead he proceeds to attempt to pants the referee. So for those of you who may not have heard uh, that verb maybe since middle school, it's what you think it is. It's attempting to pull down another individual's pants. It's what Ricky Connolly did to me in the parking lot of Crofton Middle School in sixth grade. So if you're listening, Ricky, I'm still mad about that. I think the difference was that Ricky's attempt, as I recall, was actually somewhat successful. That's true. Yeah. Um, which it typically is, for example, when someone's wearing basketball shorts. Exactly. But referees generally do wear belts, belts with their pants. <laughs> so you have this, again, 45-year-old Tennessee state representative essentially tugging on a referee's pant leg unsuccessfully, um, and it didn't go so well for him. To his credit, he he did apologize as well. His quote was that he he acted a fool, um, but yes, yes still, he did. Yeah. Uh, he is my early candidate for fool of the year, and uh, we'll see we'll see if anything's able to top it uh, throughout the rest of twenty two. It's still early. So I, I also originally had Jawan Howard. Yeah, I mean, you just can't take a swing at somebody like this is a bad look for a guy that's been seemingly like a solid professional for basically his entire career. He was the guy the Wizards kept or the Bullets kept because he like didn't act the fool. Uh, You can't, you can't do that. You know, that's sort of like the player mentality, I guess. If somebody messes with your guy, you're going to take a swing at him, but that's fine. But yeah, that's pretty rough. But the one I ultimately went with, and I don't know if you saw this the other night in the UConn game, it's a big game. They were playing against Villanova. This is a huge game for both teams. UConn is ranked 21st in the country. Villanova's eighth. UConn's 20 or was 19 and seven at the time. And Villanova was 21 and six. It's a huge game for the standings in the Big East. And one thing UConn has not been able to do recently is beat Villanova. So this was a huge game for them. Danny Hurley gets a technical, which it was kind of soft in the first place, but it's probably one of those things like, hey, Danny's kind of a jerk most of the time. So he gets a shorter leash. But then he bangs on the scores table and throws his arms up in the air and starts trying to like wave the crowd on and and get them excited and like fire them up. And the referee said that they were showing him up basically by, I don't know, inciting the crowd. So they threw him out of literally the biggest game remaining on their, you know, on their schedule for the year here. And I just don't know how you can do that. Like if you're a referee, it's just like not about you. He's not facing you. He's not calling you out. He's not continuing to say anything. I understand the reputation he has, but like potentially ruining a game for like thousands of people, millions of people watching and all those kids on the court, if they lose that game, you know, because of they don't have their head coach, they ultimately end up winning 71-69. So I feel like that's a karma win. But just this is like my full of the week candidate because nobody cares about referees. We are not there to see you swallow your ego and just like, let it go. Give him another, another verbal warning. I don't care, but that, that should drive me nuts. So to confirm, it's the referee who is the fool of the week. For that is correct. Technical. That is correct. Nobody yeah. gives a shit about you, referee. Just mind your own business. Take one for the team. 
Uh, yeah, and it's interesting. We've been seeing that it seems like uh, across sports over the years, uh, w- whether it be a, a football referee stating that the other player was uh, giving them the business, which I think has been stated several times now. It was pretty good the first time, but mm-hmm. a little played uh, out. Yeah, it's getting a little tired. But yeah, it's interesting how it seems like officials are are trying to insert themselves more and more into games, and especially with with that big of a game on the line, uh, that could have could have had significant implications. So fortunately, as you said, it sounds like, I don't know, I guess uh, texts don't lie. I'm not sure exactly how to work that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, they got lucky to have a good assistant coach who will probably get a head coaching job because they won a close game against a well-coached Villanova team. So I don't know. It's fool of the week and then opposite fool of the week. And the kudos go to like the assistant coach for UConn there. Honorary fool of the century candidate, Vladimir Putin. Stay in your lane, bro. Go home. Nobody wants you. Austin, thank you so much for doing this. Any parting thoughts uh, on the Wizards or anything you want to leave anybody with here? Uh, This was a lot of fun. Really appreciate the opportunity to come on. Uh, This is an awesome podcast that you've been doing and appreciate the perspective that you're able to give Wizards fans. So thanks for coming out with this podcast on pretty much weekly basis. Yeah, thanks, man. All the kudos to you. If you hadn't let me kind of figure out uh, that I liked all this stuff throughout college. So I was a journalism major for context. Austin was not, but he chose to give up an hour of his week to do this with me every time. So I will always be appreciative of that. Everybody rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. And we'll catch you next time. And as always, we were presented by betonline.ag. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.